Amen. Indeed, he is risen and has overcome all. Let us draw near to God as he draw near, near to us through his word. Would you stand with me as we hear God speak to us through the Bible? Turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, 1 through 10. And if you need a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. And on page 572, you can find Matthew chapter 10, or 28, verses 1 through 10. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Father, on this Resurrection Sunday, as we commemorate and remember that historical event that happened over 2,000 years ago, we are reminded, Lord, that you are risen and reigning. You are the God of the crucifixion on Friday. You are the God of the silence on Saturday. You are the God of the resurrection on Sunday. And we have gathered here to celebrate that reality. And Father, we know as the spoken word reminded us that your resurrection means that you have overcome every circumstance represented in our hearts as we are gathered here. Those who are facing death or death has come near, and the shadow of death weighs heavy on their heart, you are the life. Lord, those who are looking for answers and they've heard nothing but silence, you are the one who speaks into our hearts through your word. Lord, those who see nothing but darkness in their past, their present, or their future, you are the light that shines into the darkness. Father, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. And so we ask that you would show yourself great, make yourself known to us as the one true God, 
and speak through our pastor, speak through your word. It is you that we have come to hear from. It is you that has the only thing worth listening to. Lord, you have the words of life. May we hear it and may hearts be transformed and lives be resurrected this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you, praise team, for leading us in worship to our risen Savior. What an awesome day this is. You know, it's my favorite day of the whole year, Easter Sunday. There's nothing better than coming together to celebrate the defining moment in all of history, the day Jesus defeated death, the day he resurrected from the grave. If the story of Jesus ended with the cross, it could not be called good news. Jesus is dead means Jesus fell. Jesus is dead means Jesus lied. Jesus is dead means Jesus was a fraud. However, the story doesn't end at the cross. The story ends at the empty tomb. Something happened that forever changed the course of human history, and that is Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is now empty. The Lord has risen, and Jesus is alive today. In fact, the only, only the Christian faith makes the claim that its founder conquered death. And so whatever you believe about the resurrection, Jesus changed the world. The history is now split into two categories. We have before Christ and now after Christ. And now billions of people all over the world have committed their lives to following Christ, the resurrected one, our Savior and Lord. And it's for this reason we now, as Christ followers, we believe two crucial events. In fact, you'll notice in your notes coming up on the screen behind me, and if you're here for the first time, I invite you to reach for your handout that's in your bulletin, and you can follow along and take notes if you want to. But the two most important events in the history of the world are the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would propose to you that if this is true, that is that Jesus died and he rose from the dead, if that is real, then nothing is more important in our lives. Nothing is more crucial. Nothing is more urgent than believing this and becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I know it's a big if. Or you may or may not believe it, but if the premise is true, wouldn't you agree with the conclusion? That if Jesus died, if he rose again, then nothing is more important than to believe it and to be one of his followers. And so what I would like for us to do this morning for the next few minutes is to behold two of these events. These two events in particular right here in Matthew 28. The one that Jesus was crucified and the other, Jesus is now risen and is alive today. There would have been no need for the resurrection if Jesus had not died. And there would be no saving significance to his death if Jesus did not rise. Both, that is the crucifixion and the resurrection, both of these events are utterly crucial for our salvation. 
Therefore, we need to behold both of these events. And I say behold simply because Matthew here in this text of Matthew 28, these first 10 verses here, Matthew himself uses this word behold four different times. And it simply means to take a look at this. In other words, that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to take a look at, I want us to see, I want us to behold the crucifixion and the resurrection. Let us behold for the next few minutes that Jesus was crucified, but he was also, he rose again. Look at it with me now. Point number one, behold, Jesus was crucified on the cross. We'll start in verse 1 here, Matthew 28, which reads, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now what Matthew is doing here for us, he is setting the historical significance. It provides for us here, verse 1, the setting here, the historical details of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Matthew provides us with a real day in history and two real people that he focuses on here in history. The two people are often called the two Marys. One is Mary Magdalene and the other is the Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. We know this because you can go back to chapter 27 and see it in verse 56 there. But in particular, these two women were there Friday to behold the crucifixion. And now they have returned on Sunday for the surprise of their lives. Verse 2 reads, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Why? For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. In verse 3 now describes this angel. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And then according to verse 5, it says, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. There is the first claim that I want us to behold, to take a look at. Jesus who was crucified. So what is it then that we need to know about the crucifixion so Jesus' resurrection is seen for what it really is? I'd like to throw out to you five truths about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And the first truth is this. The crucifixion of Jesus was public. It was public. In fact, the Apostle Paul later on tells King Agrippa in Acts 26, 26, this thing, in this thing, he's referring to the crucifixion, and he says this thing did not happen in a corner somewhere. In other words, Jesus' crucifixion happened in a public place for everyone to see. In fact, according to Matthew 27, there were crowds of people who saw it happen. All the religious and secular leaders were involved. Even secular historians of the earliest centuries treated the death of Jesus as historical fact. Tacitus, the Roman historian who was born in A.D. 55, records Christ, who had been put to death as a punishment during the reign of Tiberius at the hand of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And so the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was public. For everyone to see, it was not something hidden. It was not something done in a corner. 
The second truth is the crucifixion of Jesus was painful. Listen to how an article in the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia describes crucifixion. The punishment was meted out for such crimes as treason, desertion in the face of enemy, robbery, piracy, assassination, sedition, etc. Among the Romans, crucifixion was preceded by scourging, undoubtedly to hasten impending death. The victim then bore his own cross, or at least the upright beam, to the place of execution. The number of nails used seems to have been indeterminate. A tablet on which the feet rested or on which the body was partly supported seems to have been a part of the cross to keep the wounds from tearing through the transfixed hands and feet. The suffering of death by crucifixion was intense, especially in hot climates. The swelling around the nails and the torn, lacerated tendons and nerves caused excruciating agony. The arteries of the head and stomach were filled with blood, and a terrific throbbing and headache ensued. The mind was confused and filled with anxiety and dread. The victim of crucifixion literally died a thousand deaths. The sufferings were so frightful that Josephus, who was a a historian at that time, wrote, and I quote his words, that even among the raging passions of war, pity was sometimes provoked. The length of this agony was wholly determined by the constitution of the victim, but death rarely ensued before 36 hours had elapsed. Death was sometimes hastened by breaking the legs of the victims and by a hard blow delivered under the armpit before crucifixion. And the sudden death of Christ evidently was a matter of astonishment, according to Mark 15, 44. So there is no surprise then when we read in Mark 15, 37, that Jesus, at the moment of his death at crucifixion, he gave out a loud cry. Why? His suffering in those last hours was indescribable. The crucifixion of Jesus was not only public, but it was painful. And the third truth we come to is it was planned by God. The crucifixion of Jesus was planned by God. Jesus himself told his disciples. In fact, he told them several times that this was his destiny. For instance, in Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, that they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. In Acts chapter 4, 27 and 28, those early disciples there, they prayed to God. And listen to the words of their prayer. They say, truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed death both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And so the death of Jesus Christ was not a historical fluke. It was not an accident. It was not merely some act of injustice. It was planned by God. This is the teaching of the New Testament such as in John chapter 3, verse 16, where we read that all-familiar verse where it says, For God so loved the world that He did what? That He gave His only begotten Son. 
And then Paul writes in Romans 8.32, God, God did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. And so Jesus was crucified by the very plan of God, not by accident. The fourth truth we learn about the crucifixion is that it was punishment for our sins. This was God's plan from the beginning. That His only eternal Son should be born as a man, live a perfect life, and then die. But make no mistake, not for His sins, for He was sinless. And so Jesus did not die for His sins, but rather He died for my sin and your sins. He died for the sins of the world. Paul put it like this in Galatians 1.4, Christ gave Himself for our sins according to the will of our God and Father. In 1 Corinthians 15.3, Paul writes, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And so the crucifixion of Jesus, we see it was public, it was painful, it was planned by God, and it was punishment for our sins, not His sins. And the last truth we see here, it is precious. You say, how can you say that? It's precious to those who believe in Him. In fact, this is what the disciple Peter would later say in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, where he writes, speaking of Jesus Christ, you were ransomed for the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And then in chapter 2, verse 7, he says, Therefore to you who believe, He, that is Jesus, He is precious. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is precious to those who believe. Why? Because it is by that death we are ransomed from our sin. We're ransomed from our guilt and condemnation and even hell itself. And we are given eternal life in Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus came to accomplish. Eternal life for all who believe. This is why He was crucified. His crucifixion was public, painful, planned by God, punishment for our sin, and precious to those who believe. And my prayer is this morning is that you will behold Jesus for who He is. He is the sinless Son of God. And for what He has done for you on the cross. And that He will then become precious to you. But Jesus cannot be precious if He is dead. So the resurrection of Jesus is just as crucial as His crucifixion. And so let us now behold Jesus is risen from the dead. The angel tells the two women in verse 5, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. But do not miss what the angel says next in verse 6. He is not here. Why? For he is risen, as he said. For more than 2,000 years, the devil has been trying to discredit this crucial event. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the resurrection spells his defeat. Satan knows that if you believe this great truth, 
that Jesus rose from the dead, then it will change your life. In fact, more documents exist proving that Jesus has risen from the dead than documents proving that George Washington crossed the Delaware River. We simply base our history upon the factual evidence we have and the facts stack up. Jesus rose from the dead. What is interesting here in this particular text, in fact, in all four Gospels, we are told that the very first eyewitnesses to the risen Lord were none other than women. It's a beautiful thing. These two women here in Matthew 28, they were the last ones at the cross, but they are now the first ones at the tomb. And now, if the Gospel writers had wanted to fabricate a resurrection story, let me tell you, they would have excluded women in the story. Here's why. Because in ancient culture, in the culture of Jesus, women had a very low social status to the point that their testimony was not even accepted in a court of law. In fact, that's why when these two women obey Jesus' command to go tell the disciples, and they do that, that Jesus had risen from the dead. The disciples themselves did not initially believe at first, these two women. And yet Jesus first appeared to women, which really validates or authenticates his resurrection. So what then did these two women see on that first Easter Sunday? Well, two things I want to highlight for us this morning that comes from Matthew 28 is that, first of all, the two women, they go to see Jesus' tomb, and what do they find? They find it empty. These two women went to the tomb hoping to finish something that they started previously. They went to the tomb hoping to finish the burial process by anointing Jesus' body with perfume and spices. But the thing they absolutely did not expect was an empty tomb. With the stone rolled away and an angel sitting on the top. And yet that's exactly what they saw. Look what it says again here in verses 1 through 4. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. In other words, they're going to see the body of Jesus Christ. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Jesus was supposed to be dead in the tomb. But this is ironic. The only dead men we read about here are these guards who shook for fear and became like dead men. And for good reason. They had failed in their duty to keep the tomb sealed. But they were no match against the angel of the Lord who himself rolled back the stone from the door of the tomb. And the reason, listen, the reason the stone is rolled away from the door of the tomb is not to let Jesus out. Oh, no. It was rolled away to let the women in to see something, to see that the tomb is empty, that Jesus was not there. And you just got to love the picture that Matthew describes here for us of an angel who is now sitting on top of the rolled away stone. 
I, this, I love that picture. That stone was supposed to seal the tomb. But as the angel sits on the stone, it is a visible symbol of Christ's victory over death in the grave. Unbelievable. It's awesome. The empty tomb. It is one of the significant pieces of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Producing a body would have been the easiest way to discredit the resurrection. In fact, we we know this because you read previously in Matthew's account here that great measures were actually taken to protect Jesus' body from being stolen. That's why the religious leaders go to Pilate in Matthew chapter 27, and they say to him in verses 63 and 64, Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, that's what they call him, said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. And so Pilate says to them in verse 65, take a guard, go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so here we can see the extreme measures that were put in place to make sure that Jesus stayed dead and buried, that no one would steal his body. And obviously, and this is even ironic, Jesus' enemies here, the religious leaders, they were the ones who remembered the words more than the disciples did. They had this fear that Jesus would actually do what he said he would do. And of course, Jesus did what he said he would do. He rose from the grave. Now notice that the first people to behold the evidence of the empty tomb are Jesus' enemies. The Roman guards who had been placed there, and then the two women see it. Now don't miss this little bit of information here on this. The soldiers and the women are witnesses to the very same facts. Both the Roman guards and the two women, in other words, they're witnesses to the same reality. They all see the angel, they see the great earthquake, they see the stone rolled away, they see the empty tomb, but only the women believed. The problem of believing Jesus' resurrection is not because of a lack of testimony or a lack of credibility. No, the problem always resides in the heart. And that's why we need God to open our hearts to believe. The angel now, who is still sitting on top of the rolled stone, now comforts these two women with the greatest news in all the world. But first the angel tells them in verse 5, do not be afraid. You might be wondering, why would the angel tell them that? Well, it's actually quite normal for in the Bible, when someone encounters an angel, he or she always fears. And that is why the angel first has to tell them, fear not or do not be afraid. For if the angel doesn't say that, listen, if you were the two women, you would keep shaking in your boots as well because God's wrath is on its way normally when angels appear. Here, however, 
the angel has good news to announce to these two women. Look what the angel says in verses 5 through 8. The angel says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, come, see the place where the Lord lay. Now that's the angel's invitation. And it's an invitation to what we would call scientific research. The angel doesn't say the stone is rolled away, but there's no need to check inside the tomb. Just take it on faith that Jesus is gone. No, rather, the angel says and invites them to use their senses to make sense of what's going on, to make sense of what they see. The angel also doesn't say there's no need to look in the tomb for Jesus because he is now spiritually raised. Just look for him in your soul. Look for him in nature. Check for his resurrected love in a tree. Feel his presence in the wind. Rub the belly of your beloved dog and you'll touch the happy heart of the Lord. The angel doesn't say that. No, the two Marys, and this is fascinating, will actually see and touch Jesus Christ. They will behold him in the flesh by holding on to his flesh. In real time, at real places, near the tomb, and will do so again in Galilee. And by following these two women to the tomb, we now, here, even 2,000 years later, we are to open our eyes, open our ears and minds, as they did, to the reality of the crucifixion, but also the resurrection. Then these ladies... They are given their great commission, and off they go running to tell the other disciples what they saw. And I love that Matthew records their their mixed emotions of fear and great joy. You see that in verse 8. And let me tell you, new parents understand exactly what that is. New parents understand the concept of great joy mixed with fear, When they find out they're having a baby, new parents normally are excited. There's great joy within their hearts, but then they fear as they think, oh my, I'm not prepared for this. I'm going to be a dad or a mom. What's going on? Whatever fear these two women had, and who wouldn't have some fear after seeing what they saw of the angel, their great joy pushed them on their mission. And as they ran to tell the disciples what they had saw, that's when they encounter the risen Lord. Notice number two. The two women see the risen Lord and they worship him. Look what it says in verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. Now, why would Jesus say rejoice? Because Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. Jesus is standing in front of these two women who came to mourn his death, but now there's reason to rejoice. Jesus is alive, and he's standing there in front of them. And look at their reaction in verse 9. So they came, and they held him by the feet and worshipped him. It's interesting that ten different times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is, quote, worship. Two of those times happens after the resurrection. 
And in both cases, such worship always involves adoration. Think of the wise men the first time Jesus is worshipped, bowing before Jesus in the manger and presenting their gifts in worship. And in the same way, the response of these women when they saw Jesus was to what? Bow down and worship him. And note that Jesus here, it's rather interesting, he's not a spirit and nor is he a ghost. Have you ever noticed that ghosts are usually depicted without feet? Think of Casper the ghost. You ever see his feet? No. But here, here in this account, Jesus has a, get this, a resurrected body with feet, which these two Marys are clinging onto in worship. Think about it. Our two biggest holidays across the world is what? Christmas and Easter. Our two biggest holidays are as tangible as human skin. A baby in a manger and now a man with feet. As Frederick Bruner writes, the beautiful thing is this. God did not need a fetus for the incarnation, water for his son's baptism, a cross for his son's death, or a cadaver for his son's bodily resurrection. God can squeeze water from a stone. But God used all these lowly realities to do the great work of salvation for us. So much more could be said about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And yet, maybe you're here and you're wondering, great, what's the big deal about it both? What does the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus mean for me personally here today? Well, there are several things I could offer you in the implications of what it means for your life as well as the applications of what it means. But let me leave you with three things that the crucifixion and resurrection means for every one of us here this morning. The first of which is this. It means that Jesus can be trusted. And here's why. All throughout his ministry, Jesus declared that he would die and be resurrected. And guess what happened? Just that. If this didn't happen, then Jesus is a liar and probably the greatest deceiver to have ever lived. But it did happen. The resurrection, therefore, assures us that Jesus is who he says he is. What he claimed, he fulfilled. His words are true and they can be trusted. The resurrection proves that Jesus is all that he said he is. Throughout his life, he had claimed three different roles. The role of a prophet, the role of a priest, the role of a king. And as a king, Jesus reigned from the cross by defeating our greatest enemy, death and sin. As a priest, Jesus offered the final sacrifice for our sin. And as a prophet, Jesus foretold that he would die on the cross and raise from the grave. And that's exactly what he did. Therefore, he can be trusted with your life. Second of all, it means that you can be forgiven of your sins. Yes, apart from Jesus, every one of us here this morning... We stand guilty of sin. But the good news 
The great news is that we can be forgiven of our sin. I love how the Apostle Paul says it in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. He says, Christ forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In other words, Jesus paid for my sins with this death on the cross, and that means I now don't have to pay for them. Jesus took the full penalty of our sin on the cross so that there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could say it this way. The death of Jesus was the payment for sin, and the resurrection of Jesus is the receipt In other words, it's the proof that God accepted the sacrifice of His Son on the cross. His wrath is turned away. And when we come to Christ and we put our faith in Christ, God declares us righteous. It's a beautiful thing. The last thing it means is death is not the end. Death is not the end. Since Jesus conquered death, it means death is not the end of the story. It means that when we die, it is then that we truly live. That's why Paul could mock death by triumphantly saying in 1 Corinthians 15, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A man on a quest for truth once said, when I looked at religion, I did so with two questions in mind. Has anyone ever conquered death? And the second question, if they did, did they make a way for me to conquer death too? He went on to say, I checked the tomb of Buddha and it was occupied. I checked the tomb of Confucius and it was occupied. I checked the tomb of Muhammad, and it was occupied. And then I checked the tomb of Jesus, and it was empty. And so I said, there is someone who has conquered death. And then I asked myself the second question. Did he make a way for me to conquer death too? And so I opened the Bible, and there I see that Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. On this Easter Sunday, let us behold the risen Lord. But how tragic it would be to come into this auditorium and worship our risen Lord and to behold His crucifixion and to behold His resurrection but never believe. This was the response of the religious leaders. This was the response of the Roman guards. They refused to believe in Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified on the cross for our sins and the one who rose from the dead. And as a result, they died condemned in their sins. On the other hand, Matthew is encouraging us God is inviting us to follow the example of these two women here 
who believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And as a result, they were saved from their sins and granted eternal life. And so what does this mean to believe? It simply means this, to behold the risen Lord and believe, to repent of your sin and trust Jesus for your salvation. The hope of Easter ultimately points to this one question. Are you going to trust Jesus for your salvation? Are you going to believe in Him for the forgiveness of your sin and the gift of eternal life? Jesus said it this way in John chapter 5, verse 24. Verily, I, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Paul writes in Romans 10, 9 and 10, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so again, the question comes down to this. We can behold the crucifixion, we can behold the resurrection, but if we do not believe, we will die condemned in our sins. This morning, we have the opportunity to do both. To behold and to believe, to respond to Jesus Christ today. Will you behold and will you believe the risen Lord? With your heads bowed. And as we bow our heads together for our response time, are you ready to respond to Jesus? Listen, if God is speaking to you, now is the time to respond. Don't say no to the pricking of the Holy Spirit. Don't say no to God as He speaks to your heart. And if you're here this morning and you're ready to respond to Jesus, the music is going to play, and while it's playing... Man, I encourage you to pray to God right where you're sitting. There's even a prayer in your notes that you can follow along. You can, you can silently pray in your heart, Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is the Savior who died to pay the penalty for my sin and He rose again. I want to turn from my sins and follow you. Please forgive me and save me. I receive your Son, Jesus, by faith as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, you can pray that prayer. You can put it in your own words. The idea of responding in prayer here is to just cry out to God the Father and ask Him to save you. Respond if you're not a believer already. Our Heavenly Father, may Your Holy Spirit draw men and women to the Savior. Grant Your faith to those who do not know You. And may you grant the blessing now that someone would come to Jesus Christ and find the forgiveness they need and be reconciled to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The music's going to play. And as it does, will you respond?